Welcome to Embracing Diabetes, a podcast that explores the many different ways people are thriving with diabetes in the world, from making music and art to helping us better understand and manage our emotions. I'm Amy Stockwell, and I'm here with Dr. Liz Stevens, and today we're speaking with award-winning author and registered dietitian, Lauren Plunkett. Lauren's been called a plant-based powerhouse, fiercely honest, and a renegade girl with an authentic voice. Her friends call her a badass. We're so glad to have Lauren on to talk to us today. Lauren, welcome. We're so excited to have you. And um, the first thing that we like to start off with is ask everybody to tell your diagnosis story because we all have a diagnosis story and they're all stuck in our memories forever and ever. So tell us about yours. Okay. Well, I don't think mine is too outrageous in comparison to to so many of us. I was 11. Um, I often describe that as just before the hormonal apocalypse begins is that's the prime time that so many of us get diagnosed. And although like the average age is, is going up quite a bit, um, still so many of us get diagnosed in that time period. And yeah, I was, um, I heard your story, Amy, that really like resonated with me because I think I was like sucking water out of the bathroom faucet too. <laughs> and I remember sixth grade and we were approaching Halloween and, um, yeah, I just caught in mouth. It's funny too, that it's always October. Cause yeah, I think mine was too. Really? I don't yeah. know the diagnosis date. I don't yeah. know it. And I have like the paperwork to fill out to really find out, but whatever. <laughs> but it's September, always October. October. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, it's a shift in seasons, you know, right. it's a, it's whether it's environmental, but because it's autoimmune, but um, yeah, 11 um, cotton mouth. What I remember was getting up during the night so many times to go to the bathroom and then drink out of the sink. And that was really the, this curse that was kind of developing in my sickness. And my dad had said to me later, once I wrote my book, um, I didn't, I didn't realize exactly what my parents' perception was other than it being like positive. I mean, they just were, we're going to get home. We're going to do this. We're going to dive right in. We're going to learn what we have to, and we're going to keep you going just as we had planned as, as parents, we're going to raise you all the same. But my dad pointed out this sunken eyes. Mm. Um, he was watching the life leave me. Yeah. So I could kind of switch the language around to make this even more positive to say I was diagnosed at 11, but really I was given a new life at 11. (laughs) That's when the new life began. Uh, you're diagnosed and you learn how to give yourself an injection with a needle. It was 1993 for me. And, um, and so it begins. Yeah. The adventure of life. Did anyone else in your family have a history? No history. Nothing. Not even type two. I do. I have two older brothers. Uh, yeah, it's, um, there's, there's very, there's some health history to be, you know, of, of concern in my family, but diabetes is not one of them. Uh, I just did a grand rounds on type one diabetes this uh-huh. week. And so I had to do all this research. So it's like 93% of people don't have a family history of type one diabetes. So why do they even tell us that? Because that's, <laughs> that's like the one thing that people always know, they'll say, Oh, you, you just, you must have someone in the family. I rarely hear of somebody who has a parent also a parent and a child with type one, you know, I think I, that was my perception until I started working in an endocrinology clinic at children's hospital. And then it just seemed like it was so frequent that we would have mm-hmm. siblings come in or, uh, there was one instance where I believe mom was diagnosed in her forties and the child was diagnosed six months later. Yeah. 
So the genetic genetic component, of course, is more obvious when you're in an endocrinology clinic and it's just like, wow, these, you know, all these families are are getting type one. I have a friend who has twins that both have type one. They were diagnosed at very different times. So it's um it speaks to what, what our bodies are constantly adapting to, what yeah. our environment is very imperfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's out of our hands what happens to us with an autoimmune condition it's you know hormonal the endocrinology system it's it's something where we now have the opportunity and the requirement to learn as much about our bodies as possible yeah and that's what i find is the beauty of type one is we have the opportunity to learn an incredible amount with our body but we first have to accept it have to embrace diabetes yeah and learn how to roll with it for some people it took me it took me a long time yeah and it, it wasn't like i was you know from my diagnosis story um being sick, getting diagnosed, being admitted in the hospital. I had a little bit of a traumatic experience in the hospital also. And then um, I was already feeling like a number. I was already feeling like being judged. Mm -hmm. Um, I already knew that my blood was somehow being judged. My existence was going to be determined by these numbers. And um, I don't know if I already knew how rebellious I am at that age, but uh, <laughs> the rebellion wasn't in, I'm not going to take my insulin. I never did that. I don't, I, the feeling of being high, I, I had identified that real quick, right? It's awful yeah. and it's hard to describe something, you know, oh, by the way, I feel like such girl power in here with you too. <laughs> like, like women over 30, like, yeah, like we exist, we grow up <laughs> and we're healthy. Yeah. Know. For sure. It's, yeah. There's such a gap in community with women that have diabetes that, you know, as we age, it, yeah. there's like this, this, your pediatric, and then this doom and gloom starts to come in. I've really been feeling that. I know I'm, I'm switching the subject here, but I've really been feeling that with, um, National Diabetes Awareness Month. There's all sorts of stories that come out, but I feel like there's been a huge push for medication and this huge um, push for like, remember the complications, remember like, okay, th- that is the last thing any of us. I don't, I don't feel like it's you didn't get that. been about that. I feel like it's always been about the complications. Oh, <laughs> always. Yeah. It's certainly have had a nice grace period somewhere. Yeah. It never went away. Yeah. It certainly has been there. I, um, that stuff is such a, it, it to me, it just feels like the healthcare practitioners and those that are like the, these big dogs and diabetes are so out of touch with who we are. Yeah. Come on. We've been hearing this all the time. Don't lead with fear. Right. Lead, lead with encouragement, lead right. with positivity, get, get on the ground with us, you know, and, and know who we are and see what inspires us. Cause it's certainly not, not that, you know, talking more about lifestyle. How do we live our lives to the fullest? Cause it's there. And we're like so close to, to leading these conversations more often. That's what helped me change. So mm-hmm. growing up from, you know, my diagnosis story, and I talk about this in the book where there were so many things that I didn't understand what was happening to my body. I had so much anger. Um, my mental health was totally not okay, but there wasn't therapy. Wasn't exactly a big conversation at that time in the nineties, really not until recently, I think yeah. putting so much emphasis and importance on, on helping people through these depressions and burnouts and all of that going on, that, that's never going to really stop because taking care of yourself is a marathon. You're not going to get to stop doing that. Right. And I had to change my mindset. There's a point at which I was like, Lauren, you're either going to get healthier or you're not make a decision and learn. You need to learn some things. And you know how frustrating it is when you're being told to do something, the same thing 
over and over and over again. You get that same conversation about carb counting, yada, yada. You know, you go and you get an insulin adjusted and then see you in three months or six months or whatever they say. And you go back home and you feel like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Why is my A1C still high? Yeah. And you just, you get so down on yourself, so bombed. And that's what I was sick and tired of. Mm -hmm. I'm not living my life like this. This is not going to happen. I can't go on this way. I don't want the brain fog. Um, this, this can't be it. You know, I have to have more than this for myself. And that was really the, the turning point. Um, and it was years ago now, cause so, so much has happened since then. <laughs> How old were you then? And what do you think was there mm-hmm. like a moment, an epiphany, or was that something that you kind of came to gradually? Epiphany is a good word for it. I, I call it awakening, you know, rude awakening, several of them. I, I was kind of trying to run away from myself, but, you mm-hmm. know, run away from the diabetes and create this new life. But really diabetes is a partnership with the person that we are. Mm-hmm. It is a partnership. It's not, a, it's not. You know, it, it was language I needed to change. I don't view diabetes as I'm fighting it or it's a struggle or I really try to avoid the word sucks. I don't like that. Right. Like it's not, that doesn't help me. And what would help me is trying to understand when my blood sugar goes high, what's going on? Is there something internal here? Cause I'm going through the motions. And when I started diving more into nutrition, it was like awakening after awakening after awakening. And then I'm, I come across research that I didn't even know existed. And that was kind of right when I was starting my life over and decided to go back to school to become a dietitian. I thought I need to get on the other side of the exam table. I need to learn as much as I possibly can and get into the, the dietitian saddle in a sense to, to really do this. You know, my, the line I've used, I know this isn't terribly fair, but I became a dietitian because I never met one I liked. Yeah. yeah. And that is that, that in itself is, you know, I thought I'm a study of one. My own horrible experience was my own fault, but in the last five years or so, when things kind of took off for me and I started um, traveling and speaking at JDRF events on exercise in particular, that then led into nutrition conversations. Um, what really was touching were the stories I was collecting from other people with type one or parents. And then I'd go home and it would take me weeks to kind of like shed the emotion yeah. from what I had absorbed. And I'm realizing I am not a study of one. My horrible experience is it's not, it wasn't okay. And all these other things that are happening to people all over the country are not okay. What right. is happening? Right. How did we get here? Right. And there's all sorts of reasons as to how we probably got here with a shortage of time or, or people that are you know jaded. And it's like the empathy energy just doesn't stay there when practitioners are so busy, but there's a huge issue with training mm-hmm. and understanding what people yes, with diabetes need. So, and you and Liz are both straddling those worlds because Liz, <laughs> an endocrinologist mm. so she too sees both sides and oh. yeah don't you think Liz that it goes all the way back to the like training like when you're in med school and you're being taught um well I think that um I mean I definitely think that there are opportunities for us to do better a better job with that um I do think the education part I think there's just the, the experience of being living with chronic disease is so unique especially with diabetes I mean there's really nothing like it that I can think of in terms of chronic illness um you know like rheumatoid arthritis I mean there's there's so many chronic diseases that are out there that just don't affect you in so many ways so I do think that I think it's a hard thing to always um be able to expect someone to be able to understand or know. And I also would say that in our healthcare environment right now, it is just such a mess mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, just time constraints and reimbursements and the amount of just like slog that we have to get through. It's just really hard. I think sometimes to be able to generate as much, 
you know, just as much empathy as you'd like to have, because no one goes into medicine because they don't like people, right. you know, I mean, everyone goes into medicine, because they want to help, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's a very difficult, I think, especially post COVID it's just been really, really hard. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that because I felt that myself with having um, absorbed too many stories in the same day from, from people, particularly with type two, because oh, that's who I've yeah. been working with you right. know, primarily the last several years, but I was also working in digital healthcare in the primary healthcare system. So it was quite unique to be learning about primary care Mm -hmm. and what that is like for people with diabetes. And then to be hearing these stories of people type two who have had diabetes for maybe 15, 20 years, and they've never met with a dietitian or a diabetes educator, and they've never been given the opportunity to enact practices in lifestyle medicine. They've never been introduced to it. And you know how it is with medications. It's um, add more or take a different one. Right. So right. we, right. the fun part was, I'm going to talk to you about how to reverse the resistance. Do you know what insulin resistance is? And it was always no. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go there and I'm going to try to get you mm-hmm. really excited about living your life again. They had lost hope for themselves. Yeah. And that's where I started feeling closer mm-hmm. to type two as a person with type one, being able to get in their shoes. And then if we could enhance the conversation into sensors, then I could kind of begin to talk about this self-sufficiency and empowerment that can happen from this. And then I would see amazing things happen from their original outlook to just a couple of conversations of them realizing that they could take more of this into their hands. I can't believe how many missed opportunities we might have, but I was getting really exhausted from that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't want to, cause it was heavy, right. It's, it's heavy stuff. Right. And I knew I had to really slow down and yeah. how many yeah. people I talk, protect my energy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause often you really have to get into like, you know, money and mm-hmm. what can you afford to like, it's just heartbreaking oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to hear more about becoming when training to become, um, a dietitian and you are a language person and you and I have talked about language before, but mm-hmm. I hate the word dietitian. Like, <laughs> shouldn't it be nutritionist, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Real quick. The, the interesting thing is registered dietitian. So already is, is a, is a protected title registered. It's a licensed title, but a few years ago, they, they added nutritionist to the end of that. So technically RDN registered dietitian nutritionist to try to own that word as well, because we are at the highest level of training and rigorous, all of that with schooling and the internship and the clinical and all those things and licensed, but anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. A nutritionist is a more positive tone to it than dietitian. But my whole thing is dietitians should be teaching people how to eat, not how to diet. And diet doesn't have to be a bad word, but it should not label people with fads or um, yeah. So come see a registered dietitian and <laughs> we'll probably, you know, help you work through the fact that weight is so much deeper than just numbers. Totally. Oh yeah. my gosh. It, yeah. There's so much yeah. trauma underneath. Yeah. And that's yeah. a really hard thing to sell for people. You know, often that dietitian thing, people don't want to talk about food. I think your initial yeah. comment about shame and type one or type two food is just such a trigger for so many people. Yeah. That, exactly. um, yeah. I spent a lot of time talking about food is medicine, like food is medicine. Like you gotta, it's, you gotta respect it. I don't want to give you more medicine. Uh, Well, plant-based nutrition saved my life. That is the honest answer is that uh, I needed to learn how to eat. So I was in my early twenties when some of the awakening started to happen, but over time is when this started to, started to develop. And it took another 10 years really to 
renew my spirits, become a dietitian, become a diabetes educator and be able to move on from there. And, and, and there was so much research that I got into in that process that I came across some studies about fiber. And this, this is, I'm giving you the abbreviated version of this, yeah. but uh, I, you, you heard some things about fiber and at the time it was like subtracted. Do you think any of us are going to bother with that? Like, seriously, what a hassle looking for every gram here and there to subtract something. And, and also that also inspired another, a disordered relationship with food because we're looking for everywhere that we can find fiber to subtract it, to take less insulin. So now insulin looks like the bad guy when it is mm. so important to have insulin on board and carbohydrates then become the bad guy which is another horrible influence because the carbohydrates are not equal. Cakes and cookies and candies are not the same as beans and broccoli and wild rice and apples um, and oatmeal and blueberries. I mean, there's nutrient richness here. And I realized that's what I was missing was nutrients, period. So I had to get over this carbohydrate hatred language. And so in, so in these days, what I call it is, is reframe self-blame, reframe language around carbohydrates, mm -hmm. just like reframing clinical language, words like uh, non-compliance, just awful yeah. labeling terms like this. Um, you know, I'll say in front of, in front of audiences, uh, please don't call me diabetic. You can call me Lauren and you can say that I have diabetes, but I can assure you I'm a lot of things besides diabetic. Yeah, <laughs> Choose like your verb. Okay. <laughs> After you yeah. hear me speak, you might call me all sorts of things, but um, <laughs> don't call me diabetic. Yeah. So Plant-based nutrition really did save my life because I didn't know the difference between what would happen to my body if I ate uh, bean chili and a salad, then I ate a sugary cereal in the morning. I didn't really know how there was a difference there. And the difference was in, well, this is fiber rich. There are more nutrients here going on versus it being, well, this is 30 grams of cereal, sugary cereal and carbohydrate. This is 30 grams of bean chili. And it was a, it was a shock as to how this was helping me. And this is, this research is really big in, the, in type two diabetes, looking at how can we lower A1C through nutrition. And I thought, well, if insul insulin resistance is the topic of type two, but I've only ever been encouraged to take more insulin if my blood sugar is high, why haven't I been told to look at the quality of my carbohydrates? So that's what I started to analyze and I, it was like, I got just a taste of feeling like I was a study of one and then I had figured out diabetes Oh, and I didn't know the research existed. And I met my mentor and she's like, I know what's happening to you. And she gave me like a stack of research and, and then it went from there. But you know, what that inspired is as I'm, as I'm discovering this method of eating, that is just, it, it's common sense, but I needed to understand the science of this why is this helping me? And where can I go from here? Because I was also having more energy, more mental clarity. I was no longer at risk for Hashimoto's, which was, I was getting pretty close on that. And my LDL was going up. Everything changed. I talked to a couple of dietitians. They didn't know what was going on. My endocrinologist was like, just keep doing what you're doing. I'm not getting <laughs> away, but we're going to bring your insulin down because this is serious. I was having so many lows. And then I had the urge to exercise. I had energy. So it was this perfect storm of a positive awakening that I had to this. And then because of all of this good stuff that was happening, what it really inspired was soul crushing anger yeah. as to why yeah. this is not being talked about, or at least in an introduction. Um, why aren't dietitians just all 
over this, but I had just gotten done at the University of Minnesota. And I know what I was being taught in those classes. And I know that I was also told that I would barely graduate. I was told I would never get an internship. Wait, why? Because I'm rebellious. Because I was, (laughs) I mean, you know, I was, I was like, doesn't work that way. (laughs) I went to, to, there's a very competitive program here that had a stipend. And I was like, I'm just going to go. I'm never going to get in, but I'm going to go. And I'm going to see what the competition was like. And I described this in my book as it was like the hunger games of dietetic internships because of who I was around and everybody's looking and sizing, sizing each other up. And I'm just laughing to myself. Like I can say anything I want in here because I'm not getting in. And I thought maybe I can talk my way in. I'll write a really awesome letter and and see about it. And I'm sure that just went to the paper shredder, like whatever, yeah. look at her GPA. Cause that's all they were looking at was, was GPA. Oh, like, the, isn't that an interesting thing that has followed me through life? It's like being judged by my blood sugars. And now I'm being judged by my GPA. And <laughs> you know, what this is going to do is it's only going it, to fire me up even more to fight as hard as I can to get to whatever stage I have to, to start talking about language, plant-based nutrition, um, and, and whatever else comes across the table that we've we've got to start bringing to the forefront, asking educators to change, asking doctors to please start hearing this. And I knew I was starting to tap into some pretty scary territory because mm-hmm. I'm I'm asking for change. However, I'm an evidence-based practitioner. Right. I have got research to show you. I am my own example. And I've I've worked with other people to see what they do with this, but there are other educators doing this too in, in the world of um, in diabetes with plant-based nutrition, but but what's so amazing is that there's research on digestive health and brain health, which is an incredibly important topic in diabetes, is preserving our cognition, um, anything endocrinology related. If we're talking about PCOS and with immunity and protecting our body, making it strong and becoming a more efficient machine, and in sports nutrition, which is where I really got turned on to um, plant-based nutrition was through sports, is that if they look at, at fiber in any of those chronic conditions, we have positive outcomes. It helps. So that's I started to realize that whatever affects diabetes, diabetes is part of the whole system and the whole system affects diabetes. So we have to treat and eat to protect everything. This yeah. is not just about blood sugar anymore. This yeah. is not just mm-hmm. a one note. So I'm going through, you know, you can imagine like your medical nutrition therapy classes at the university and they start talking about diabetes and you're just like, oh my God, you're just sinking down in your chair and you're like like telling myself, just shut your mouth, don't say anything. And I also was older. So I had a chip on my shoulder about all kinds of things, you know, going back to school in my later twenties and I'm not really knowing like, what am I going to do with myself here? I need to just try to get an internship. I got to follow the rules, at least to the point where I get in. (laughs) Um, So anyway, plant-based nutrition has been amazing. And it's been super um, touching to watch what people do with it. My mentor is super inspiring. And through the Association of Diabetes Educators, there are so many of them that want to know more. And they've given me a stage to, to speak on. And it's been really such a an honor. You know, I, I start out a lot of my presentations by like, I'm, I'm still a kid with type one who's scared of all of you. So thanks for having right. me. Um. <laughs> but you know what I think is really interesting um, about wh- what you're telling us is, is the anger piece, because I, I think that I, like, I don't know if I ever even ex- let myself experience mm-hmm. anger. When I was hearing you say that, yeah, I was wow. 
and anger can anger is is can be such a motivating force. I mean, I can see that with you that it it makes you instead of just being sad and feeling mm-hmm. depressed, being angry it, it feels more empowering. And I'm wondering. I mean, I feel <laughs> like there must be a lot of people out there who mm-hmm. had this this anger, but but direct it inward, you know, because and hold it. Yeah, right. which is even harder to suppress emotions like this, but. I wrote a paper about why am I so angry was the question mark and some research that I came across that was super interesting, not specific to diabetes, but it was looking at emotion and what um, showing frightening images does to people. What does this inspire? And fear was so closely associated with anger. Sadness was not associated with anger, but fear is. And what I find to be very interesting in diabetes and particularly in type one is that if we kind of flip the script here and look at what are we really afraid of? And it's being out of control, mm-hmm. feeling out of control or being told we're out of control and that can inspire anger. But if you, if you look at it from this perspective, like, why am I angry? What is this thing that's making me angry? What is in my power to change? And we have, we have so much power over our, our thoughts and our, but they can absolutely run away from us, particularly if we have high blood sugars and we have brain fog and we're just, you know, upset. Now looking back, I understand my anger, but I had to become an indoor cycling instructor to deal with a lot of my anger, which I have been for 10 years. And that is how I deal now with seeing um, certain studies come out that I know are not going to help people. Mm-hmm. They're going to be studies that make things very, very difficult. And they're funded by somebody who, or a company or an industry that's trying to influence something. Um, I, I see this all over the place with this um, push of medications on people right. with diabetes instead of let's talk about the lifestyle factors because no matter how much medication you take, lifestyle issues, choices are always going to be there. And that's the golden ticket. Our conversation with Lauren ended up running way over time. So we are stopping here and calling this part one. And we will run um, part two, the rest of our conversation, next week. So thank you for listening to this episode of Embracing Diabetes with your podcast hosts, Liz Stevens and Amy Stockwell. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and maybe felt inspired or informed or less alone or all of the above. Please subscribe to Embracing Diabetes on all major podcast platforms and leave a comment, question, or review. Thanks again. We hope you'll come back for more.